Hello and welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. My name is Doug. I serve as the pastor for the people of Faith Lutheran Church based out of Shelton, Washington. Thank you so much for tuning in today. A couple of things that are going on these days I want to acknowledge. First, uh, just celebration. We want to recognize the graduating classes of 2020, especially our own three Shelton High School graduates, uh, Joel and Quentin and Tyler. Congratulations to each of you. And to graduates at every level of education, high school, college, vocational training, seminary. Our own intern, Pastor Mary, is just a couple months away from her own graduation. Way to go to each of you. At the same time, there's real unrest and anxiety, especially around race uh, here in America. We're wrestling as a nation about what to do, how to move forward, how to be a nation. So today I want to share two Bible stories that I think tie these two themes, graduation and and wrestling, together. The first, uh, uh, we're going to look at Jesus sending his disciples out on a field trip in Matthew chapter 9 and 10. But first, we're going to look back at an origin story, the story of how the people of God got their name. It's in Genesis chapter 32, verses 21 uh, through 31. And by the time we get done, I don't think I'm going to have much by way of answers, but I do have a personal story, three takeaways, and a particular challenge, an invitation to our graduates. I've included some Bible references and takeaways in the podcast notes. You can find more worship and study resources at our church website, www.faithshelton.org. Right now, please open your Bible to Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, and then let's pray together. Dear God, things are pretty crazy around here these days. People are getting hurt. We're having to face our past, our demons, and our violent impulses. We pray for peace, and we pray that all of us can come out of this in one piece, a a more perfect union. Thank you, God, for naming us as your people, your children, your disciples. Give us courage to accept the assignments that you give us, your mission of healing and reconciliation, and even raising the dead. Teach us what we need to learn. Give us the courage to do what is right to the glory of your name, and to the blessing of all people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a story in the Bible about a man named Jacob who's at a crisis of faith. He has a choice to make. He needs to make amends for something that he did wrong a long time ago. But it's risky, and the outcome may even put himself and his family at risk. So the story from Genesis chapter 32, beginning at the 22nd verse, says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven sons, and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. 
The Old Testament of the Bible is a story of how a people became the people of God. This people come to know the nature of God and the nature of being human. This particular story is significant because it's the story of how Israel got its name. So this is maybe 1,700 years before Christ, and there's a family of wandering Arameans, the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of a couple named Abraham and Sarah. And this family was first given the name Israel here in Genesis 32. Now, Jacob has stolen from his brother Esau, and over the years he's benefited economically from doing so. Now it's about 30 years later, and he gets wind that his brother is nearby, and Jacob gets the sense that it's time to face his past. So with his family and possessions in tow, he sets off to meet Esau, who, by the way, had threatened to kill him if he ever saw him again. The night before meeting Esau, the story goes that Jacob wrestled with a stranger all night long. The stranger swipes his leg at one point, busting his hip, but Jacob perseveres till morning. The man, over the course of time, reveals himself as being God and renames Jacob Israel, which apparently means one who wrestles with God and humans and prevails, which is actually a lot of meaning in a short name like Israel, but there you go. Israel means one who wrestles with God and humans and prevails. Historically speaking, then, Israel, Jacob, uh, proceeds to rendezvous with Esau, and things actually turn out okay. But at a deeper level, it describes the kind of relationship that God has, God wants, with God's people. It's a rocky, turbulent one. It involves yelling and arguing, sleepless nights, and absolute faithfulness on God's part. To be the people of God is to be people who wrestle with it, who hold on to God and do the next hard thing. This people of God, this Israel, they held together through 400 years of slavery. Eventually, they secured an autonomous kingdom united under a legendary king named David. That kingdom actually only lasted about 300 years or so, and eventually Israel found itself under the rule of the Roman Empire. And this is Israel in the time of Jesus and of the New Testament of the Bible. Now, the New Testament of the Bible is also a story about how a people became the people of God, how the story of a clan of wandering Arameans became the story of the Christian church. It's a story of how God is faithful and how God demonstrates this fidelity by sending a Messiah, a son of David, a new king of Israel, Jesus to show the people everything we need to know about God and everything we need to know about people. So a reading starting now in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, beginning at verse 35. It says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every kind of disease. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, 
Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, proclaim this message, The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. Here ends the reading. So Jesus came to reveal the heart of God. And so Jesus' ministry was one of teaching and healing and casting out demons. Yeah, casting out demons, that's a thing. Just take a look at the news footage these days if you weren't convinced that evil, unclean spirits can infiltrate and corrupt even the most peaceful demonstrations or gentle law enforcement officers. During his ministry, Jesus meets people on their own turf, relying on their hospitality and generosity. He listens to their stories, what makes them tick and what ticks them off, their, gen- their hopes and their dreams. The Bible says here that these encounters caused Jesus to come to have compassion for the people because he saw, he knew, he understood that they were struggling, wrestling every day with life, oppression, fear, and doubts. It says that Jesus was traveling with a small cadre of disciples. Jesus was their teacher, and he taught them with, well, lectures like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, word problems and riddles called parables, like in Matthew chapter 13, and with field trips like this one, described in Matthew chapter 10. Now, we know that there were more than 12 disciples. Another gospel writer says that there were at least 70 in the group. And we know that the group was made up of both men and women. And we're pretty sure that the core of the group was mostly teenagers, young men and women, who had completed their schooling, who had returned home to take up the family business or trade, things like fishing, construction, agriculture. And these 12 were named to connect Jesus to David. See, David had unified the 12 tribes of Israel, and so now King Jesus unifies Israel with the help of 12 apostles. So the great Jesus, uh, so the great teacher Jesus sends these 12 and others on a field assignment. Their assignment is to do what they have watched Jesus do, proclaim the good news that God is still faithful, heal the sick, de-escalate conflicts being brought on by evil spirits. Jesus authorizes them to use the same power that Jesus used, the exousia, the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I read this story, I wonder today, if Jesus was sending them out to, to do good and make converts, or was this assignment more to force the disciples simply to meet people, to listen to their stories, to learn compassion? A man named Ron taught me a lot about compassion. It's my sophomore year of college, and I stumble into a job at an outpatient mental health center in Greeley, Colorado. My new boss tells me that one of my duties will be to check on a man named Ron Ron, a couple times a week, to keep him company, to make sure he isn't drinking again. Now, Ron had literally gone crazy teaching junior high band. I'm not kidding. I was a a middle-class white Lutheran pastor's kid. I had never set foot in an apartment with a chain-smoking alcoholic with mental health issues and a cat. 
I was scared to death. My first few visits were awkward, and I couldn't get out of there quick enough. Eventually, though, I got used to going and even looking forward to our visits together. He'd tell me stories, the same stories every week, pretty much, but he'd tell me stories about teaching junior high band, about a hotel room that he kept in Christmas decor 12 months out of the year. He'd rant about the cars driving past his apartment. Where are all those cars going, he'd say. He would lament his addictions to cigarettes and alcohol and how his wife had finally given up on him and left. You see, I had some issues at that time, too. I had returned to Greeley after a year at Pacific Lutheran University. I had literally run away from a relationship, and I was clueless about what to do with myself. It turns out that both of us were lonely, confused, and afraid. Ron, my friend Ron, taught me that there really wasn't much difference between him and me. We were both, well, people. And people deserve dignity and compassion because this stuff is hard. And I'm convinced that that's why Jesus sent me there. I thought it was to do some good, and maybe I did. But I do know that going there made me a better person, more Christ-like and more Christ-dependent because of Ron. So a story about wrestling, a story about field trips, and a story about Ron. What does all this say to us today? Let me talk about wrestling with God, leading with a limp, and standing firm. And then I'm going to challenge our graduates to raise the dead. The story of Jacob wrestling with God tells the story of how Israel got its name. But it's also a metaphor, right? When there's a crisis of faith or a pivotal decision to make, like Jacob facing his past. Most of us have had that experience of a night of tossing and turning, perseverating over a situation, angry with God or the world or myself. Now what am I going to do? How could she say that to me? What am I going to tell the kids? What am I going to tell my church? How can God sit back and let stuff like this happen? There is a whole lot of wrestling and restlessness in our nation and communities right now. There is a crisis of faith as a nation. I wonder if the current situation is like what Jacob was facing in Genesis 32. After all, Jacob had stolen from Esau and benefited greatly as a result. On the, on the one hand, there was something in Jacob that was leading him to accept responsibility for the past, to try to make things right with his brother and face the music. On the other hand, he was always someone who tried to avoid conflict and violence, and he was genuinely concerned for the safety of his family. Should he go forward? Should he run away? Should he deny it? Should he blame his brother? These are choices I see our nation, our families, our churches wrestling with today. And we have to do it in the, during a pandemic with political gridlock, increasingly unwieldy protests. 
This is what leader, leadership scholars call an adaptive challenge. There are competing values, competing perspectives, law and order on one hand, equality and justice on the other. Individuals have a right to protest, but when does that right to threaten the rights of others to earn a living or protect their property? There is no right answer. We just have to figure this out. That's the nature of an adaptive challenge. Believe me, folks, after last week's message, I wanted to move on from this topic. (laughs) But it seems clear that we are still firmly in Jacob's sandals right now. We have to wrestle with it. We have to lean into the struggle, engage with one another, engage with God, and seek God's will. As your pastor today, I cannot let you off the hook. I'm afraid we've got a long night of wrestling still ahead of us. We are the people of God. We are those who wrestle with God and with humanity and prevail. Number two, everyone has a limp. A friend of mine asked me today if Lutherans believe in the total depravity of humankind. Not exactly sure what the particular doctrine entails, but yeah, I told him, Lutherans teach and confess that apart from Christ, we are a dumpster fire. (laughs) We're in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves, too easily swayed by sin and the devil, too easily possessed by lesser spirits and baser instincts. Jacob wrestled with God and emerged with a limp. And it is very Lutheran and Christian and honest to admit and acknowledge that we all have a limp. None of us is clean. My friend Ron had a limp that everyone could see, mental illness, addiction, divorce. But I limp too. Pride mostly. Fear often. I just can hide it a little better at least most of the time. So whatever the conversation, whatever our assessment of the situation these days, our role and our responsibility in it, let us as the people of God have the humility to admit our own blind spots and our own lame excuses. Jesus cautioned his followers not to point at the speck in someone else's eye before first addressing the log in our own. Everyone has a limp. Third thing, stand firm in faith. We ought not imagine that Jesus was sending his disciples into sleepy little bergs with white picket fences and apple pies cooling on the sill. Jesus came and lived in a time of military occupation. Rome was the original law and order regime, and people in Jesus' day, the ones he met and listened to and had compassion for, were daily surrounded by reminders of the fact that the government could and would use whatever force necessary to keep the peace. It was called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. You know, it was not so harmless as we might have imagined for the disciples to be moseying around, announcing that there was a new regime, a new kingdom, a new world order right around the corner. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, when you read the rest of Matthew chapter 10, you learn that, in fact, it was dangerous, life-threatening. Jesus warns them, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, he says in verse 16. 
Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils, flogged in the synagogues, brought before governors and kings. Brothers will betray brother. Children will rebel against their parents, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is not an easy word, listeners. It is going to get worse before it gets better. The gospel compels us, calls us to hang in there, to lean into it, to stand firm, trusting in the faithfulness of God. So graduates, this one's specifically for you. Your job is to raise the dead. You heard me. I want you to do the God-sized thing that is impossible for humans, but possible with the power of the Holy Spirit, the exousia of God. Raise the dead by the power invested in you by the Son of God himself. You know, there's a reason that Jesus put the fate of the entire Christian church in the hormonally gifted hands of a gang of young men and women. It's because you are fearless enough. You are foolish enough to try. So let the disruptions of this spring, pandemic, unemployment, racial unrest, let it teach you and guide you. The unsettledness of 2020 has brought to the surface just how messed up things are. You are not victims of circumstance. You have actually been given a unique experience and challenge designed to give you what you need to shape a better future. So raise the dead, graduates. Take on systemic racism, climate change, global health reform, reinvent our education system, fix health care, heal the nations, and mend the planet. Show us how to be a human family again, because I think we've forgotten compassion. For the love of God, graduates, help us. So there you go. Thanks for listening to this week's We'll Preach for Food podcast. For more information about faith, you can go to our website, www.faithshelton.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or any other way you listen to those. Don't forget to like our Facebook page, Faith Shelton. Thanks, Jazz, for your production work. Thank you, people of faith, for your generosity, your prayers, your pursuit, your wrestling, your compassion. Let's pray. O God, you have called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending, by paths as yet untrodden through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your spirit is leading us and your love supporting us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you, folks. May God's face shine on you, be gracious to you. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.